Welcome to the Heart Kids podcast. My name is Tani Jash. I'm a proud Ewan Camilleroy woman and a journalist. I was also born with a heart condition. I'll be presenting a series of episodes looking at Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people's experiences of childhood heart disease. This episode, we have the privilege of chatting with Jairani Nichols, a registered nurse and Aboriginal woman who works at Nuthmin Health, located on the Jarrigan College campus in Gordon Vale. With a passion for empowering individuals to take control of their own health, Jairani has been dedicating her skills and expertise to support patients with rheumatic heart disease. Being at uni for four years, doing my nursing, I did not once hear about rheumatic heart disease. And then coming here and finding out that this affects my people, it was quite, what can I do as a nurse to help these young kids better their health or, you know, live a longer, happy life? Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge that this podcast is being recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation otherwise known as Sydney. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land and the land that you're listening in from today. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and future and pass that respect on to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners. Thank you for coming and joining us on the podcast this afternoon. How are you going? Yeah, good. Thanks for having me. A bit nervous, but... Don't be nervous. questions. Don't be nervous. I'm friendly, I promise. <laughs> Before we get started, I like to ask our guests, you know, where they're dialing in from, what country you're coming to us from, and a little bit about who you are and where your mob is from. Yep. So my name's Jay Rani Nichols. I was born and raised in Alice Springs. So that's where my Aboriginal comes from, from my mother's side. My dad identifies as Torres Strait Islander, so his parents were born up in TI. So did you grow up in Alice Springs and then you moved to Gordon Vale where you're working now? How did that sort of come about? Uh, so I lived in Alice Springs until I was about 12. Then we moved to Mackay for a bit and then my family moved me to Cairns and then since then did my year 12, went to JCU, did my nursing and then, yeah, working at Nuckman Health. Oh, lovely. And Nuckman Health is, as I mentioned before, is in Gordon Vale which is near the Aboriginal community called Yarrabah, if I'm correct. Can you tell us a little bit about Nakmin Health and the work that you do there and the impact it has being on Jarrigan College? So Nakmin Health is a very small health clinic that sits on Jarrigan College campus. We're very separate to the campus, like we're like any other health organisation, but we do mainly focus our care on the students that attend Jarrigan College. We also do see community people as well. We're slowly opening the doors for community, but having the clinic on the school grounds of Jarrigan College where we've got kids from the Northern Territory, very remote communities like you and Demu, Mirawini, and like all the communities up to the Cape, Arakoon, Cohen, TI, all those little islands up there. So having the clinic where these kids can jump out of bed and go straight to the clinic when they're sick. A lot of these kids have never been to a health service or seen a doctor. It's amazing to see that they get the health that they need while they're at school. How many kids would you say are at college? Is there quite a large number of children? I think the number is roughly around 300, but that's also including boarders and day students. So it's a mixture. Yeah, right. And I was having a little read on the website about some of the work that Nakmin Health does. And there was a statistic on there that really sort of stood out to me, which was, you know, 10% of the children 
that come to the center already have a chronic diagnosis. And so I was really keen to hear from you about the importance of the work that Nakmin Health are doing and the flow on effect that has for families and, you know, the children that go to the school, but also the community that lives in the area. I feel like a lot of these kids all have chronic conditions, whether it's diabetes, whether it's rheumatic heart disease. But when they come to Jarrigan College and see our doctors at Nakmin Health, we're able to start them on a health assessment where we can make sure what is their like their basis of their observations. Then we're able to refer them to all their other specialty appointments, whether that is to see a cardiologist, whether that is to see a podiatrist or a diabetes educator. At least we're able to get them in the right steps because the kids in community may not have seen a special doctor in community. So being able to get them their foot in the door to see those special doctors is it's amazing. Yeah, definitely. And it just, I think the point around some children not even being, you know, having access to doctors or specialists is one of the big takeaways there and why the work that you're doing is really important. And your work, your role, so you're a Aboriginal nurse and health worker. Can you tell me a little bit about your work and the work that you do and sort of the focus that you have around rheumatic heart disease, as I understand, that's the sort of specialty area or service that you provide to the community, service that you provide to people specifically with rheumatic heart disease. So my role at Nuckman Health, it's quite a massive role. So I'm the one that conducts the health assessments on every kid that walks through Jarrigan's door. I take every kid to the dentist. I make sure all the kids' immunizations are up to date, matching the national immunization schedule. So a lot of these kids aren't even up to date with their year seven immunizations or grade 10 immunizations. So that's a big job in itself. I'm helping our nurse practitioner and doctors manage and treat the kids with chronic conditions. But also I've taken, since being at Nuckman, I've taken on the role of being the RHD nurse, I guess. So my nurse practitioner trained me very well to administer bicillins because I was very nervous. Being at uni for four years, doing my nursing, I did not once hear about rheumatic heart disease. And then coming here and finding out that this affects my people, it was quite, what can I do as a nurse to help these young kids better their health or, you know, live a longer, happy life? So yeah, rheumatic heart's definitely been something that I've been passionate about in the last three years and yeah I want to make a difference in these kids lives. And is that where your inspiration sort of stemmed from in wanting to get into working with people who are living with rheumatic heart disease it was seeing patients firsthand? Yeah yeah definitely yeah. And it's really surprising actually just hearing you talk about studying at university and that you know rheumatic heart disease not being mentioned and it was only until you went out into the field that you actually saw that firsthand yeah yeah no it's quite scary even though like rheumatic hearts quite big around here but yeah I'm just glad I know about it now and that I can put my studying to good use I guess for people who might not be familiar with rheumatic heart disease can you just give us a little bit of a quick or brief explanation around what that is and sort of how it forms yep so rheumatic heart disease so you have rheumatic fever which is what starts when you have either a little sore that you've scratched that's become infected or a sore throat that has the bug called streptococcus. So it's just the recurrent of this infection that makes your heart get sicker and sicker. And if you don't treat 
Like if you don't treat tonsillitis and it keeps coming back, your heart's just going to get sicker and sicker. Until then, you go to the doctor and he's noticing your heart, your valves leaking because of all the damage your heart's taken from the strep that hasn't been treated. So it's just so from rheumatic fever, you then get diagnosed to have rheumatic heart disease. But I think that's the easiest explanation. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, it does. No, definitely. And there are people who, once they've had the rheumatic fever and it's unfortunately led to rheumatic heart disease, there are people living with that today. Do you see sort of adults with rheumatic heart disease coming to the centre or is it mainly children you come across? I have had a couple come through the clinic, but they no longer come to this clinic anymore, but it's mainly kids at this moment. A lot of kids have their bicillin until the age of 21, which will then they will go see Dr. Ben Reeves or another, well, after 21, it will be the adult cardiologist. And then they will just check on their heart to make sure his valve's closed or it's looking good. And then they'll determine whether or not they need more bicillins. And what does your sort of average day in a life look like for you? What are some of the things that some of the tasks or responsibilities that you undertake. You spoke a little bit about the injections that you administer for some of the patients. What are some of the other things that you do in your day-to-day? So every day is different. It just depends. Is that school or what kid walks through the door? Like some days, like today, I did five bicillins. So it's just, and then another day I won't do any. So it just kind of varies my role. I do do a lot of different, a lot of immunizations every day. A lot of dressings, wound care, a lot of hearing and vision um, screening. I take the kids to the dentist every Thursday and Friday. And when you're seeing, you know, your patients every day, you must do, I imagine you'd build this really great relationship with the students there and have a strong connection, I guess, you know, building that trust and that relationship for them to feel safe and comfortable to come to the doctor, to come to the dentist, which can sometimes be a scary place to be, especially if you know, you haven't grown up accessing those services. It's definitely very tough to build the first relationship and get the kids trust. But I found it was quite easy because a lot of the kids see me as they think I'm a schoolgirl. So that was kind of a nice, an easier way to, oh yeah, I'm your age, you know, let me talk to you about your health. And then they started to see me as their like big sister. So it was kind of, okay, well, they see me as their big sister. Let me try and help them realize their health is important. Let me educate them and help them to be able to look after themselves and give it back to their family and community. Yeah. And when it comes to, you know, needles, actually, when you're thinking about needles, sometimes they can be a really scary or frightening thing for children. How do you sort of convince them or make them feel comfortable that it's going to be okay, especially when they're having, you know, their bicillin injections? You have sort of some tricks. Um, So every kid is different. Some kids, they're not scared of the word needle or they see the needle, they don't worry. Whereas some other kids, it could take me near an hour to do the needle. I've had to give kids the green whistle, just makes them a little bit dopey. So it puts them out of their misery. They still feel it, but they don't, I don't know, they just feel a bit more relaxed. A lot of kids, I do the Amla cream, which is a numbing cream. So it makes it a little bit more less painful. And a lot of kids, I bribe them with Tim Tams. So no one will say no to chocolate or biscuits. <laughs> no, that's it. That's it. So I said, oh, let me jab you and I'll give you two Tim Tams. So that seems to work most of the time. Uh, love it. And people that might be listening who are new to getting bicillin injections, what are some of the things that they can expect before or after an appointment? Can you sort of walk us through that? Yeah. So 
the first appointment, I'm just thinking about my last bicillin girl. She's never had bicillin and it took, we was with her for quite a long time, but she just had to, we just talked her through it. Yeah, I think just talking them through it, just making sure that they know what's about to happen, give them step-by-step of what's going on, whether when it's their first bicillin and if they're not used to it, I do the ice pack, the Emla cream, and I leave it there for at least 20 minutes. So it's not as painful, but the anxiety around it, because they look at the needle and they're going, oh, that's going inside me. And I just say, it's okay, just take a deep breath. It'll be over before you know it. And just kind of keep reassuring them throughout the whole appointment. And then once it's done, they're like, oh, I didn't feel it. Or, oh, that wasn't too bad. So I feel good knowing that I didn't cause them too much pain, even though I scared them for nearly an hour (laughs) until I did the needle. But yeah, a lot of these kids are really good. Mm. And is there sort of some symptoms afterwards that people should look out for or if they're experiencing sort of what are the symptoms to look out for afterwards if they're feeling a little bit abnormal or is there anything that people should be looking out for and not to feel worried about I guess like the kids that I've given bicillins to none of them have come back and said oh Jayrani this is hurting or this is happening should I be I've never had anything like they do have a sore bum but they say it's gone by the next day nothing I've seen personally um no the process is relatively smooth. Right. And in the community, we spoke a little bit about Nakmin Health and, you know, where it's located. How important is it being an Aboriginal nurse and health worker to the work that you do and supporting your patients? I think it's important because they feel a connection. I guess if I tell them that I identify as Aboriginal and Torres Strait, then they kind of just relax a little bit, I guess. Whereas like a non-Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander person they put up a fence, I guess, because they haven't experienced or they don't know what it's like to live the way that they do. So it's sort of that connection and the understanding. And I imagine that that would be really helpful too for parents as well that come in and, you know, sometimes you might go to mainstream services and they haven't had a great experience. So coming to a centre like Nakmin Health would really be like a safe space for them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And is there sort of you know, any cultural considerations or sensitivities that you apply in your work that kind of sets sets you apart and Nakmin Health apart from other service providers that work at Nakmin Health? Is it majority Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people or is there sort of a mix there? Definitely a mix. When I first started, I was the only one that identified in the clinic. So we've definitely grown, but yeah, we do have a handful now that identify, which really helps. Like our front receptionist, they both identify, which that kind of gives the kids a bit more, they feel safe that they're being greeted by someone who they can call auntie or, and yeah, it's just a welcoming feeling when you walk through the doors at Nakmin. but yeah. Yeah, I think that's really important. Like even just seeing a familiar face there at the front desk just could, you know, sort of ease all that anxiety or the worries that little children or their families might have. So we've spoken a lot about some of the great work that you've done. Have there been any unique challenges or situations that you've come across through your work or even some sort of, you know, I imagine that there would be some maybe heartbreaking in a way situations that you've come across in the line of work that you do? Yeah, I think the biggest challenge is the communication between Nakmin Health and the other clinics back in the kids' community where like if I needed to contact one of the clinics to say the kid will be coming home, he's due his bicillin, like it's the communication breakdown is quite 
poor and I wish that it was better, especially for these kids. My biggest worry is once they finish year 12, what's going to happen because I'm not going to be chasing them up to do their bicylons. It's the clinic's responsibility. But then I just feel they haven't had a bicylon for four months back at home. So it's just, I think that's the biggest challenge. And it's really important, you know, as we were talking about before, it's a really important part of treating rheumatic heart disease. And yeah, that sort of what can happen if you're not getting those injections frequently or on time. Yep. If you stop getting your monthly bicillin, your heart will get very sick. Your joints will start to become sore. Like some kids know when their joints are getting sore, they're due their bicillin. So some kids will come, oh, Jairani, am I due my bicillin because my joints are getting sore? Or, yeah, they just become really sick or they're getting sore throats or their sores are just not getting better. So it's very important. And then some kids get to the point where they haven't had a bicillin for a long time and they end up having open heart surgery to replace the valve in their heart. So it's almost like they'll get those signals from their body, you know, asking for help, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's just whether they have the access to the clinic at the time or whether they've got the transport to get to the clinic. Like these remote clinic communities, clinics are very far away. It's very serious. Definitely. How do you think we could get better at addressing some of these situations? Like when kids are going home, back home, you know, after they've finished their schooling, if they've been boarding at the college, what are some of the solutions that you think that could help address these issues or make it easier for young people to stay on top of their treatment? Oh, I wish I could go to all the communities and give every kid their bicillin, have like a big RHD bus that travels around Australia every month just to give all the kids. I feel like that would be the most successful solution. I think it's something as simple as access for people who live in big cities that we take for granted can change your life, you know, dramatically. That's sort of what I'm hearing from you from the work that you've been doing and what you've been seeing there on the ground. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And is there sort of any success stories or stories that have been really wholesome that you've seen through your work at Nakmin and changing the lives of people who are living with rheumatic heart disease? Yep. So I remember we had this one little girl. She was on bicillin from the time she could walk, I think. And she was a regular bicillin. She was always on time. She did have that time when she was worried about a boy. So she missed her bicillin, but now she no longer requires her bicillin. So it was really nice to hear Dr. Ben Reeves saying, oh, you no longer need to bicillin, but I'll see you in a year just to make sure your heart's still good. That was an emotional day because I just felt, oh, I kept, I've jabbed you so many times and now I'm not going to jab you anymore. So I hope, yeah, she's doing good. And you know that your work's been done there, hey, when you hear stories like that? Yeah, most definitely. Oh, that's so beautiful. And would you say that's sort of rewarding parts of your roles, seeing those yeah. transformations? Most definitely, yeah. Have you seen a lot of them over the years? or No, I think she might be the only one because a lot of them I won't see once they turn 18 because they're no longer at Jarrigan. And whether or not they continue their bicillins back home, I'm not sure. Yeah, wow. So that one really stuck with you. Yeah. That's beautiful. And is there any sort of when you think when we're talking about managing your own health for young people or parents or families with someone living with RHD, 
what sort of stands out to you or what's the most important factor that people should be thinking about when they're managing their own healthcare, especially when it comes to RHD? My biggest advice would be just go to the doctor for a checkup. Even if you don't know, if you have nothing wrong with you, just go for a checkup because the more you get checked up, the more you're going to know you are okay. Keep up with your monthly bicillins because at the end of the day, they're going to save you from being on an operating table and help you live a longer, happy life. Even though it's the most scariest needle to give someone, I believe, it's definitely the one that's going to make you better and your heart better. And I think the other point that you raised about the symptoms of rheumatic fever, even if people are starting to feel a little bit off or they're having some of those symptoms to go and see the doctor so you can treat it early. Yeah. Would you say that as well? Yes. You know your body. So just once you start getting those symptoms that you know in your heart that it's your rheumatic playing up or something, just go to the doctor. Yeah, thank you so much, Jairani. We've come to the end of the podcast. That just flew by. I feel like we only just got started a couple of minutes ago. I'm glad it's over. (laughs) Oh, you did wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me. And is there anything else that you wanted to say before we wrap up to any young people or their parents that are living with RHD? If there's any sort of message you want to send out? Yeah, I just want to say to the kids that have RHD and the parents that go to all the medical appointments with their kids, it does get easier. One day you'll never have to go to another hospital appointment because your kid's heart is healthy because you took them every day for their bicillin or to the doctor's appointments or to their specialty appointments. So I just want to say it does get better. So just keep doing all the good work. Thanks so much, Jairani. And thank you for all your work and your dedication to changing the lives of so many people um, in your community and very, very grateful for the time that you spend doing that and love your work. Keep it up. Thank you so much. If this episode has brought up anything for you or you need some advice or guidance on yours or your family's CHD journey, you can call the Hard Kids Helpline on 1-800-432-785. To access more information and find out more about the support Hard Kids offers, visit the website at heartkids.org.au. The information in this podcast is not a substitute for medical advice from your doctor or healthcare team. Always talk to your doctor about matters that affect yours or your family's health.